Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the special edition of The Lead, the White House in Crisis. I'm Jake Tapper, and the biggest development today, top Democrats in the House earlier today laying out their plans for when and how they will move forward with the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff tells CNN that he's preparing to move, quote, as expeditiously as possible. Schiff tells us that his committee is preparing for hearings as soon as next week. In just a few hours, the full House of Representatives will go on recess for two weeks, but sources say Members of the House Intelligence Committee, which is leading the impeachment investigation, have been told to be prepared to return to Washington, D.C. Those sources are also detailing how quickly Democrats hope to potentially finish this process, potentially impeaching President Trump by Thanksgiving of this year. The other seismic development today in Washington, the White House acknowledging yet another key part of the whistleblower complaint about President Trump is true. White House officials admitting that they did move records of President Trump's call with the president of Ukraine to a highly secure computer system, a move that a White House official told the whistleblower was, quote, an abuse of this electronic system because the call did not contain anything remotely sensitive from a national security perspective, unquote. CNN senior White House correspondent Pamela Brown joins me now. And Pamela, not only is this the first time the White House has admitted this, it also proves yet another big part, key part of the whistleblower's story is true. It does lend credibility uh, to a key part of the complaint, Jake. And, and what the senior official from the White House is, is saying is that, uh, yes, NSC lawyers did direct for the classified document, this transcript between President Trump and, and President Zelensky, to be handled appropriately, to be moved uh, to the classified system. Uh, but this official said that it was done appropriately. So the argument that White House officials are making is that it was already a classified document because it was a head of state call and officials say that uh, they did this because it was a way to cut down on leaks uh, after the leaking of conversations that the president had with heads of state from Mexico and from Australia. And of course, there was President Putin's phone call as well that leaked out. And so uh, basically, officials are saying that that was really the reason why that there wasn't really a cover up just to protect the president. But of course, this statement leaves a lot of questions um, unanswered. Who else was involved in this beyond this NSC lawyer directing this. We know that this practice of limiting access to head of state transcripts began in earnest uh, last year. So it does make you wonder, why was it done? We know that this transcript in particular, that the the Zelensky transcript, didn't fit the criteria that would normally uh, be required to be moved to this code word system. That is for documents that contain intelligence secrets, military secrets, covert operations. We've seen the transcript. It didn't contain any of that. It was just politically sensitive to the president, Jake. Not just politically sensitive in the view of some lawyers, potentially even criminal. Um, uh, Pamela, uh, President Trump today attacked the whistleblower on Twitter, suggested that he or she is a, quote, partisan operative. Uh, That's a claim that his own director of national intelligence and the intelligence inspector general have already 
addressed the Mm -hmm. alleged bias of the whistleblower. That's right. I mean, they have made it very clear with the acting DNI saying to Congress yesterday that the whistleblower acted in good faith. But you see this concerted effort by the president to attack the credibility of the whistleblower. The president and his aides continue to point out that the whistleblower uh, had the secondhand information, even though, as we know now, some of the at least some of the complaint has already been corroborated by the White House itself. Um, And and what's interesting here in light of these attacks from the president on the whistleblower blower, Jake, is that a senior administration official uh, tells me that the president and the White House at large doesn't even know the identity of the whistleblower. But yet the strategy here is to try to keep the focus on the whistleblower, call the whistleblower a partisan to perhaps take away from some of the other fallout that's happening right now, Jake. All right, Pamela Brown, thank you so much. I want to turn to CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins, who's with me now. Uh, And Caitlin, when you step back from this, we know some facts here. We know that the military aid to Ukraine was being held up by President Trump. We know that President Trump and Rudy Giuliani, acting on his behalf, were pushing Ukraine to investigate his political rivals. Mm -hmm. And we know now that the transcript of that call was put into this uh, computer server. I mean, this looks really, really bad. How worried are White House officials? Well, it's interesting because typically people in the past, they've lived under this drumbeat of impeachment for so long. They've been convinced so many times that this is the time it's going to happen, and it never has. This week's events have essentially left a lot of people in the West Wing shell-shocked. Not just in the West Wing, Trump allies as well. People who typically have been dismissive of these, saying that these investigations Democrats were doing were overreaching and too much. This actually has prompted a lot of concern inside the White House, especially once that transcript was released. People did not think that was a wise decision. And so you're seeing a lot of people who in the past have not been concerned really be concerned about this and not so sure what their strategy is going to be going forward. And what are you learning uh, about the president's mood as this impeachment inquiry uh, progresses? He's been on Twitter nonstop railing, but that's not necessarily a new thing. No, but it's been interesting to watch privately what he's been saying to people, because after Nancy Pelosi announced that this was going to happen, they were launching this formal impeachment inquiry, the president was kind of incredulous. He he just couldn't believe that it, she actually went forward with it. He thought he had, was going to be able to convince her not to. And in the days since then, people who have spoken with the president say they think he's in denial, that he just doesn't realize the gravity of the situation that he's facing, that he's not taking it seriously enough, and that he doesn't realize that it's not a guaranteed outcome here, that it'll just be the House that impeaches him and he'll be able to go on about his way. People are trying to convince the president that he needs to realize just how grave and dire potentially the situation is. And right now, they just don't think he's there yet. And we reported that yesterday. We only heard more people start to say that today. And the whistleblower mentioned both Rudy Giuliani and Attorney General William Barr in the complaint as individuals who would help this pursuit of a prosecution or investigation of Trump's political rivals, the Bidens. Is the president going to be willing to defend Giuliani and Barr with the same uh, verve as he defends himself. Well, that'll be the question going forward. That's going to be something really interesting to watch, especially Rudy Giuliani, who was on the nerves of a lot of people inside the West Wing who don't think he's doing his best to serve the president. They think he's actually getting the president in so much turmoil, potentially getting him impeached by operating this way, speaking with these Ukrainian officials. So that'll be something to watch. The other thing, though, with people who actually work inside the administration, Bill Barr, and such. The president has drawn a lot of people into this. He's not only bringing Bill Barr into it, as he did five times, I believe, during that phone call. He's also talked about the vice president's conversations with the Ukrainians, the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, even the commerce secretary, Wilbur Ross. He's really bringing a lot of people into this situation with him. So whether or not he sticks by them or he lets someone take the blame will be really interesting to watch. And what Pamela was just talking about, 
Another thing we're trying to report out is did the president direct that National Security Council lawyer to move that transcript or whoever did it? Who were they doing at the at the direction of? All right, Caitlin Khan, stick around. We're going to want to talk to you more. Let's go now to CNN congressional reporter Manu Raju. He's on Capitol Hill. And Manu, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff tells CNN today that it's not only impeachment hearings that could start as uh, soon as next week. Hearings, not voting, but hearings. But also he might actually start potentially issuing subpoenas and ordering depositions. Yeah, I asked him directly, what are your next steps here? Do you plan to have hearings next week? And he said, we do plan to have hearings next week. He also said he plans to bring forward individuals for depositions. He also made clear that subpoenas could go out very soon to get documents. Now, I asked him, how are you going to handle if the White House stonewalls does not provide this information to Capitol Hill? After all, Democrats have been battling with the administration all year about their document requests and have not gotten a number of them. He said that will only add to their contention that the president is trying to obstruct Congress, which, of course, was part of one of the articles of impeachment for then-President Richard Nixon, presuming that could also be a part of an article of impeachment for President Trump. So Adam Schiff plans to move forward pretty aggressively over the next two weeks when the rest of Congress is in session on recess. Other members of the House Intelligence Committee plan to skip parts of their recess to come back here to plan the hearings. Now, he would not say who specifically will be the first people to be interviewed, but they do want to bring forward the whistleblower himself or herself and, and interview that person presumably behind closed doors, Jake. And Manu, a lot of House Democrats uh, have voiced concern, if not outrage, about the role that Attorney General Bill Barr played in this saga, in this scandal. Do they plan to call him before the Congress? Do they want to interview him? A lot of Democrats on that committee are telling me they do want Bill Barr to come and testify. And also, Speaker Nancy Pelosi herself raised concerns earlier today about Barr's alleged role. We're waiting for a sound. I do think the attorney general has gone rogue. He has for a long time now. And since he was mentioned in all of this, it's curious that he would be making decisions about how the complaint would be handled. But again, the big question here, Jake, is whether or not they will get any cooperation from Bill Barr, any cooperation from other cabinet officials, including Mike Pompeo, who the Intelligence Committee and other committees have already asked for documents and threatened to subpoena this week if they do not turn over what may have occurred in their conversations with Rudy Giuliani in his efforts to communicate with Ukraine. And potentially, we could even see Rudy Giuliani being asked to at least provide records if not testify. So the committee wants to move quickly. The question is, if they don't don't get the cooperation. What do they do next? And how quickly do they move to impeach? But some Democrats want this all wrapped up, Jake, by Thanksgiving, if not sooner. All right. Manu Raju on Capitol Hill for us. Thank you so much. We're going to have much more in our top story with President Trump already in counterattack mode. Are Democrats taking any sort of risk when it comes to the 2020 elections by pursuing this impeachment inquiry? You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. We'll be right back after this quick break. We're back with our politics lead for this special edition of The Lead, the White House in crisis. Democrats barreling forward towards the impeachment investigation. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff telling CNN today that his committee may hold hearings as soon as next week. Let's chew over all this uh, with our experts here. Sabrina, let me start with you. Sources say Democrats want to wrap up the entire investigation, potentially even have a vote by 
Thanksgiving, perhaps, and, and certainly at the latest, the end of the year. Uh, is there any concern that that might be moving too quickly? Well, there isn't agreement within the Democratic caucus over whether or not they should do this as swiftly as possible or take more time and build a real case in public to the American people. I think House Democratic leaders, they don't want this issue to fester, especially as we go into the 2020 campaign. And that's why they want to try and expedite this and get through it as quickly as possible. But we don't know what will happen if and when the White House stonewalls many of their requests. This could very well turn into yet another protracted fight that will be settled in the courts. Uh, And there are a lot of Democrats who say it's taken them so long to get here. So do all of the due diligence, subpoena all of the relevant witnesses and documents. There is no rush because they don't want to feed into Republican Mm -hmm. talking points that this is all politically motivated and part of a foregone conclusion on the part of Democrats to impeach the president. And and Shan, if... There are that if there is that stonewalling by the White House, the refusal to turn over documents, the refusal to turn, let witnesses testify, et cetera, which I understand is, is they have a, the White House has less of a case to make, right. uh, given the fact that this is an, a formal impeachment inquiry. But if that happens, Schiff uh, said that this will strengthen the case on obstruction of justice. Is that how you see it? I see that it could uh, strengthen the case for another article of impeachment. <laughs> I mean, Nixon completely stonewalled, ended up getting Article three on that basis. I think obstruction, they could also go down the contempt route and uh, the courts would tie it up. I would love to see them return to the old days of having their own sergeant at arms enforce the contempt. And uh, Jackie, uh, one of the problems for the White House as they attack the whistleblower, especially President Trump is attacking the whistleblower. One of the problems is the major charges in the complaint that President Trump and Rudy Giuliani uh, have been pushing Ukraine to investigate the Bidens and that the transcript was put in this code secret sensitive uh, server, those have been proven to be true. Well, right. And that's one of the problems with the Republican argument that there's no, that this is a secondhand account. Um, we have a firsthand account. It's a primary source document. We have a partial transcript or a memo, because it's not a complete transcript, obviously, um, of the conversation the president had with the Ukrainian president. It was released on you know, Tuesday. So we, we, we know what that conversation was. So I don't know how they can keep making that argument. It kind of goes in line with the fact that they say they haven't read it, uh, read the complaint that came out yesterday. Um, it, it, it's a little hollow. And uh, let's talk about the Republican reaction to this, because I, I know you have the Kool-Aid drinkers, the ones who will just defend President Trump no very matter what. Big fat of Kool-Aid. Yeah. Very, <laughs> um, but, you know, like the Matt Gaetzes of the world who will just say anything. But. What about the, the body of the Republican caucus? I know that they support President Trump, but mm-hmm. do, do the Republicans you talk to, do they understand that this looks really, really bad? Yes. Uh, for the most part, yes. There's some who just, as you said, they just they have their blinders on and they don't care because their constituents are so much in Trump's corner that, that, they, that Trump could do no wrong. But the thing that we need to look at, particularly now on a Friday going into most members uh, of Congress being home for two weeks with their constituents are those frontliners, people like Jason Crow, who you talked to on this program yesterday, who f- turned uh, a Republican district Democratic, who was one of the first people among those veterans to come out with an op-ed s- changing the tide of this story, making it so that Nancy Pelosi could do this impeachment inquiry. They are already getting hammered um, in an unofficial way by Republicans. It is going to change very quickly to an official way. Look for TV ads, look for other uh, paid political strategies to, to get at them. And so that's on the one hand. And then the flip side are 
the Republicans, getting back to what you're asking, who are in purple states mm -hmm. who need their base on the Senate side in particular, who need their base to vote for them so they can beat the Democrat mm -hmm. in 2020. Um, but they also need some Democrats to come over to, to vote for them. So they are in the, the, the biggest pickle of all of them. And they are the ones who are running from reporters, frankly, understandably, until they get more information. I'm talking about, to name names, the jo Joni Ernst of Iowa, uh, Cory Gardner of Colorado, people who, for whom their winning and losing will determine whether Republicans keep majority uh, of the Senate in 2020. And it's largely dependent on how independent voters uh, come to think of all exactly. this by November of next year, which is uh, an unknown. Nobody knows how this will happen. It's been pointed out, uh, Sabrina, uh, that Nixon had a much better uh, legal apparatus to defend him uh, and Bill Clinton did as well during their impeachments uh, than uh, President Trump has. But President Trump has something that, the, that Nixon did not have. Uh, he has Fox News. Mm -hmm. He is uh, an army of trolls. Uh, he has uh, sites that will websites that will defend anything he says or does. Um, and that could very well come into play. They are already uh, coming to his defense. And you already see the president and his allies taking a page from the Russia playbook where they're trying to frame this as a another witch hunt. You see some of them pushing conspiracy theories and trying to refocus uh, the attention on Joe Biden, even though there is no evidence to suggest wrongdoing on the part of uh, former Vice President Biden. I think that that's the key here for the president is whether or not he's able to once again try and frame this in sharply partisan terms. And it'll be very important for Democrats in their messaging to not focus so much on impeachment, but I think to continue and put this under this umbrella of corruption, which is the way that they've tried to frame their message on the campaign trail. I had a Democratic strategist tell me that Democrats shouldn't be celebrating impeachment. They should make the case to the public that it's actually a tragedy to impeach uh, an American president, but this is the responsibility that they hold as the oversight branch of right. the U.S. government. Can I just add one thing to the, there are many differences politically between then and now, Nixon and now. President Trump is in the middle of a re-election campaign right now. Even for Bill Clinton, he'd already won a second term. His political apparatus had been winding down. President Trump's is winding up, and they have been quietly building a massive war chest along with the RNC in order to get him to win re-election. There is no better way to spend that money from their perspective now to get him to win re-election than to use that money to hit back at his opponents mm -hmm. on impeachment. All right, everyone stick around. Our next guest knows a little something about impeachment. The senior counsel for Ken Starr's team investigating then-President Bill Clinton. He will join us next. Stay with us. Welcome back to our special edition of The Lead, the White House in crisis and an impeachment inquiry in overdrive. Today, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff told CNN that he is preparing for hearings on the impeachment inquiry to begin as soon as next week, possibly. And he expects that subpoenas will be issued expeditiously. Let's talk about this. I'm joined now by Paul Rosenzweig. He was a senior counsel for Kenneth Starr's Whitewater investigation into Bill Clinton, which ultimately led to the Clinton impeachment. Rosenzweig was one of many former prosecutors who signed a letter, uh, signed onto a letter back in May stating that he believed President Trump's actions described in the Mueller report should amount to obstruction of justice. Paul, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Um, so Republicans are pushing back on the president's actions in the call with Ukraine, saying there is no direct quid pro quo. Uh, in other words, the president doesn't specifically say you can only have a White House visit and this, these hundreds of millions of dollars in aid 
if you investigate the Bidens. It's never delivered in that clear cut of fashion. What, what do you think? Well, I think there's two things to say about it. First off, that's not the law. The Supreme Court has said quite clearly on a number of occasions that a quid pro quo can often be with a wink and a nod. Uh, if you made it explicit only, then every quid pro quo would be a wink and a nod, and we'd never criminalize anybody who exchanged a thing of value. The second uh, response, I think, really is that if you read the memorandum of the uh, record for the telephone call, it really is pretty darn close to an actual quid pro quo. Immediately after President Zelensky says, I need these javelins, right. uh, President, Trump missiles, says, right. uh, the, the missiles, uh, President Trump says, uh, I have a favor to ask, though. Right. Uh, as, it, you know, as if it was an explicit quid pro quo for those Javelin missiles. So The favor uh, was an investigation into CrowdStrike, which is the data firm that investigated the DNC after the hack. And then the president says, after a conversation about CrowdStrike, and another thing, and he brings up the Bidens. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, so one of the arguments that I've heard made is that the favor was only about investigating CrowdStrike in the DNC and Russian interference, and that therefore that's somehow okay. But the president just rolls right along and says, and again, another thing I'd like is for you to investigate Joe Biden, his son Hunter, their connections, etc. Biden's been bragging about shutting down an investigation. So, I mean, granted, the president is never a model of clarity mm -hmm. in what he says, but in this instance, he's actually pretty much a model of clarity. Now, some of the president's defenders are pushing back on the fact that some of the details in the whistleblower complaint do not appear to be accurate. Um, for instance, the White House says that one of the people he says is on the call was not actually on the call. Giuliani claims that the whistleblower appeared to have gotten some Ukrainian prosecutors confused. Is that important or, or is it more important that just the big details are right? Uh, well, credibility is always about accuracy. And it's always a, a balancing test. The bigger the detail you get right, the better it is. For example, here, the whistleblower accurately described most of the content and most of the tenor of this call before the memorandum of record was publicly released. So he was telling us in advance what to expect in the memorandum of record, and he got it exactly accurate. Likewise, with the fact that the memorandum had been moved to a code, uh, a classified code word uh, server perfectly accurate. When a witness predicts in advance what to expect and then proves to be true, that's a real high mark of, of credibility. Republican Congressman Mike Turner, who is on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, he did call out the president on the Ukraine call. Uh, he said it was not OK. But then he took issue uh, with the whistleblower complaint in terms of what he was um, taking issue with. I want you to take a listen. This is not OK. It isn't, that, that conversation is not okay. What's clear about the complaint is it's based on political uh, issues, uh, Mr. Director. He's alleging, or she is alleging, that the actions of the president were political in nature. Now, that's my concern about how this is applied to the whistleblower statute. Is a president pushing a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent uh, whether or not this was quid pro quo with the, the military aid, is, is that just politics? Well, no. I mean, that's, uh, uh, Congressman Turner is exactly right and exactly wrong. The whistleblower is complaining about the politicization of what should be a completely apolitical process. The president's engagement with a foreign nation should be based upon the best interests of the United States. 
And we can have a debate about how best to define that. But one way that we cannot define that is that the best interests of the United States involve giving me dirt, fake dirt, it turns out, but dirt about my political opponent. So it is, in fact, a complaint about politics, but it's a complaint about the president injecting politics into what should be a relatively uh, nonpartisan effort to aid the Ukraine. All right, Paul Rosenzweig, thank you so much for your expertise. We appreciate it. Coming up, it's basic stuff, according to then vice presidential candidate Mike Pence. But now that he is Trump's vice president, he seems like he's forgotten that basic stuff. Stay with us. Thank you so much. Now, you all need to know out there, this is, this is basic stuff. Foreign donors and certainly foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process. That was Governor Pence in 2016. Vice President Pence in 2019 is now defending foreign governments participating in the American political process in terms of President Trump pushing Ukraine to investigate his political rivals. I want to bring in Washington Post White House reporter Tulu Olunuripa, who's also a CNN political analyst. Tulu, thanks for being here. Uh, you report today in the Washington Post that Ukrainian officials wanted Vice President Pence to attend the inauguration uh, for the new president, Zelensky, in, in Kiev. What are you learning about that trip? It was canceled, right? Yeah, this was part of the whistleblower complaint. The whistleblower said that this uh, May 20th inauguration that Ukrainians wanted Vice Pre- President Pence to be there. And apparently President Trump canceled that trip as a part of this broader effort to squeeze the Ukrainians and try to put pressure on them to get them to investigate uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Now, we talked to some members of the Trump administration, and they say there was discussion about actually having Vice President Pence go over to Ukraine. There were some talks about different dates for making that trip happen. At some point, that fell apart. They, the vice president decided not to go. And they said they wouldn't you know, go fully and say that President Trump canceled the meeting. But they said that any time Vice President Pence goes abroad, he has to get sign off from President Trump. That's the standard protocol. And the fact that that didn't happen this time does send, seem to l- lend some credence to the whistleblower complaint that at some point, Vice President Pence was scheduled or thinking about going to Ukraine. And ultimately, he decided not to go. And it was around the same time that President Trump was putting pressure on the Ukrainians and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was putting pressure on the Ukrainians to try to investigate Joe Biden as part of this broader pressure campaign. Very important to Ukrainian leaders to show a strong relationship with the United States since they feel so threatened by Russia and they are literally being threatened by Russia. In the complaint from the whistleblower, uh, it says, uh, quote, it was also made clear to them that the president did not want to meet, made clear to the Ukrainians, that the president did not want to meet Uh, with Mr. Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, until he saw how Zelensky chose to act in office. Is canceling the trip part of that pressure, kind of? That's according to the whistleblower, that that is the case. You have some pushback from the White House that say, you know, President Trump had other things going on. He had other priorities, even Vice President Pence had other priorities. He ended up going to Canada around that same time to try to push a trade deal. But this whistleblower complaint is very uh, has, has a lot of evidence and a lot of the the allegations in this complaint have come to be true, and we've seen them being confirmed one by one. So this specific complaint about President Trump trying to put pressure, diplomatic pressure on the Ukrainians, trying to see whether or not they're willing to play ball. We saw some of that in the transcript. We're seeing some of that more evidence come out. And I think that's going to be one of the key things that Democrats are going to be pushing for during this impeachment process to find out whether or not the money that President Trump was withholding was part of that broader effort to 
hold back uh, diplomatic uh, overtures to Ukraine to put pressure on them and say, after you fulfill what I want, which is, you know, putting pressure on Vice President Biden and, mm -hmm. and investigating him and his son, then we can give you all the things that the U.S. can offer in terms of diplomatic overtures, money, uh, having the president or the vice president going and have this have this meeting. Uh, if whether or not that took place is going to be a key part of the impeachment process. All right. To be continued. Tulu, thank you so much for being here. I haven't had time to read it. Or it sounds like hearsay. Those are just some of the responses from Republican lawmakers. And it sounds like we've heard these talking points before. More on this special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis, right after this quick break. Welcome back to our special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina is attempting to undermine the whistleblower's complaint. Today, he told CNN, quote, I would suggest that since it's a whistleblower who was not really there, it's not really a whistleblower. So it's really more hearsay, unquote. This is, of course, a new definition of the term whistleblower. Plenty of whistleblowers have been privy to information, while not necessarily firsthand witnesses to all of it. But it is the latest example of how, though there are a handful of Republican officials raising questions about the president's conduct, Many of the most vocal Republican lawmakers are brushing off the latest controversy and adamantly defending President Trump. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, and Dan, Senator Scott called it hearsay. Is this the new defense? We already have proof from the White House of the major allegations, the conversation uh, and the fact that the transcript was hidden. Uh, yeah, that's one of the versions of what you hear Republican senators who just don't want to go there and are looking for... Uh, a lifeline, a rhetorical lifeline to not go there, say. I mean, that's that's a great example of that. You know, it, it is it, this is going to be such a test. And we've talked about this over the past couple of days. But the more we talk to Republicans, I know you all have as well, um, who are focused on getting President Trump reelected. It, it is it is remarkable how even this they are absolutely and especially this they are absolutely convinced that they are going to do better with their turnout. That they're obviously they believe they say they see uh, doing better with with fundraising numbers and that this will only help him. Well, so the question is, I'm sorry, just real quick. The yeah. question is the swing voters. Mm. Are there any swing voters? And we're not going to know that until the week before the election. Well, I mean, set aside, setting aside the 2018 election and the preservation of democracy, the Republicans have seen this president survive so many yeah. things that would have been, you know, Fatal, at the yeah. end yeah. of any other presidency, right. starting with the Access Hollywood tape. Mm -hmm. And the president and some of them who spoke out, the president has punished them ever since that happened. And they've seen themselves dragged and his supporters turned against them, which causes them problems at home. So there exactly. is a political calculation very nakedly going on here for a lot of these Republicans. And, and there is, Sabrina, uh, even among some of the president's most ardent defenders, an acknowledgement that there are some questions uh, that even they need the answers to. I want you to take a listen to Congressman James Comer's exchange with our own Jim Shuto earlier today. If right. this call was entirely okay, a beautiful call, as the president has said, why did White House officials immediately after that call take the extraordinary step of putting the record of that call in a code word protected system? Well, I think that's a good question. I think that's a question that the Trump administration needs to answer. I've also seen uh, some Republicans defending President Trump and acknowledging the role of Rudy Giuliani is something that needs to be further examined. What do you make of that? Well, there are certainly a lot of questions on the part of Republicans with respect to not just the allegations themselves, but why 
once again. We've seen Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, so deeply involved in talks with a foreign country. Uh, But the challenge for these Republicans is whether they're simply going to probe or actually be forced to vote on whether or not to remove the president from office. And we were talking about how in the Senate they are defending nearly two dozen seats. Uh, So it is going to be a real question as to whether or not Mitch McConnell uh, wants to force his members or is willing to put his members to the test. He certainly wants to protect them from having to take what could be a very politically unpopular vote. I also do want to point out one of the biggest challenges for Republicans is that the president himself has repeatedly acknowledged the behavior of which he is accused, in part because he doesn't actually think he's doing anything wrong. Right. He That's repeatedly key. says that everyone does it. And I think back to that interview with ABC News in June when he said he would gladly take help from a foreign government. He would accept uh, dirt on a political rival, and he probably yeah. wouldn't even report they it to the FBI. They argued that he's doing exactly what he was elected to do to root out corruption. Uh, and, and Shan, we have seen House Republicans coming out in strong defense of the president. Republican senators have been quieter on this. Look at some of the reactions we've seen. They break down basically into a few categories. The I haven't read it yet category, the no comment or I need more information category, of course, the defending Trump category. Some have already come out stronger uh, against what the president did, like Senator Romney, Senator Thune, they've expressed concerns over the phone uh, phone call. Um, I guess one of the questions I have is, if ultimately nothing happens here, does that mean that we have a new acceptance in the United States that presidents can use and push foreign governments to hurt their own domestic political rivals? Is is that the world that we're going to face? I think so, at least for this term and this administration. I think uh, if this administration leaves at some point, it's going to revert to the rule of law. Uh, this kind of defense of Trump saying it's hearsay, the whistleblower may not be credible, is really ridiculous. I mean, this is an example of triple cooperation. There is the summary memo itself, which corroborates what they said. The inspector general corroborated And, of course, Trump himself corroborates it. So it's, right. it's an amazingly solid complaint. <laughs> Coming up, he's the person President Trump cannot stop talking about. You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Stay with us. You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Our world lead now, despite the Ukrainian prosecutor saying he has seen no evidence that the Bidens were involved in any wrongdoing, President Trump continues to try to point the finger back at Hunter and Joe Biden in the wake of the release of the whistleblower complaint. A former top Ukrainian prosecutor named 24 times in the whistleblower complaint tells The Washington Post that Hunter Biden, in fact, quote, did not violate anything, unquote. Let's bring in CNN's Matthew Chance in the Ukrainian capital of Kiev. Uh, What is the significance, Matthew, of this particular prosecutor to this Trump-Ukraine story? Well, I mean, you said yourself he was mentioned 24 times in the whistleblower document, and that just indicates just how crucial and central he was to this whole kind of toing and froing between Ukraine and the United States. He was the linchpin, essentially. He was the main point of contact for Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal lawyer, when it came to fishing up and digging out all these incredibly, uh, you know, strange and sort of you know, speculative uh, stories, all about Trump's opponents, uh, Joe Biden, just as he was announcing he was going to be a presidential candidate, you know, basically, you know, saying that he could have been acting improperly when he was vice president to do with uh, the gas company in Ukraine and getting a former prosecutor fired, you know, to do with meddling in the 2016 election, one of President Trump's favorite themes, how the Ukrainian government may have had a hand in that 
all of those salacious rumors. They were all generated and crystallized by this guy, the prosecutor general in this country, the former prosecutor now, and passed on to Giuliani. It was manna from heaven uh, for, for Giuliani and for, and for President Trump. And the prosecutor also issued a statement saying that the whistleblower complaint is, quote, manipulative. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, he said that. He also said it had no relationship to the truth. Um, and he hasn't been able to speak to us. He hasn't been willing to speak to us to clarify what exactly is me he means. What I do know, though, is that this is a man who has changed his story multiple times. He started off kind of slamming these figures. He then came back and issued a statement back in May that the Bidens had done nothing wrong under Ukrainian law. All right, Matthew Chance uh, in Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you so much exactly as me he means what i do know though is that this is a man who has changed his story multiple times he started off kind of slamming these figures he then came back and issued a statement back in may that the biden's had done nothing wrong under ukrainian law all right matthew chance uh, in kiev ukraine thank you so much this is cnn breaking news Welcome to a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, and we begin this hour with breaking news in our politics lead. Sources are telling CNN that House Democrats could move forward with articles of impeachment against President Trump by Thanksgiving. And House members have been told to be prepared to return to Washington during the recess scheduled to begin in just a few hours. All of this as we're learning more about the whistleblower complaint at the heart of the impeachment push and potential efforts to block Congress from seeing that complaint. Sources tell CNN the Justice Department lawyers were first alerted to the existence of the complaint more than a week before the document was referred to the proper department to ascertain whether a criminal investigation needed to begin. Democrats are now demanding answers as to why the delay. We have more breaking news today with the Trump administration admitting that another key allegation in the whistleblower complaint is accurate that White House officials did move the transcript of the Ukraine call to a secure computer system typically reserved for highly secretive information. The White House today claiming that White House lawyers told White House officials to do so. CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins kicks off our coverage. It doesn't affect him and it certainly doesn't affect his presidency. With the drumbeat of impeachment in the background, President Trump is lashing out today calling into question the credibility of the whistleblower who has nearly single-handedly put those gears in motion. Tweeting, sounding more and more like the so-called whistleblower isn't a whistleblower at all. All secondhand information that proved to be so inaccurate. That's a statement his own aides seem to disagree with today. When a senior administration official confirmed one of the most explosive parts of the complaint, acknowledging a National Security Council lawyer directed staff to move the transcript of his call with the Ukrainian president to a highly secure system. The whistleblower says it didn't belong there and noted this isn't the first time it's happened. As the White House is attempting to sow doubt, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is condemning Attorney General Bill Barr for handling the complaint that named him multiple times. I do think the Attorney General has gone rogue. He has for a long time now. Sources tell CNN the Justice Department knew about the complaint more than a week before the official referral. But officials insist Barr was barely involved. It's curious that he would be making decisions about how the complaint would be handled. Today, Trump also called on House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff to resign after he read a fictional version of Trump's call with the Ukrainian president. By the way, don't call me again. 
I'll call you when you've done what I asked. My summary of the president's call was meant to be at least part in parody. People close to the president say he's in denial and doesn't realize the gravity of what he's facing. Though aides denied, they're scrambling to deal with the fallout. No one I've talked to is concerned at all about this because there is nothing there. So, Jake, you hear aides like Logan Gidley brushing this off, saying that a lot of that has to do with a lot of them had to weather the incremental measurements of the Russia investigation, which never triggered impeachment. But the speed of how this has developed has really thrown people off. And it actually is generating a lot of concern in the West Wing. All right, everyone, uh, let's chat about this. Uh, I do want to ask you, um, what is the president thinking? What is his mood? Does he understand that an impeachment might actually, I mean, potentially, I guess, the Trump campaign theory of the case that it's going to rally supporters and raise money. I guess potentially that's true, but it's also going to be a real blight uh, on his presidency. Yeah, you don't know which way it's going to go. Sure, maybe it could actually shore up a lot of support for him. Maybe it could encourage his voters to turn out, or maybe going through this process is going to reveal a lot of more damaging information that they don't want to come out that's not going to be helpful, that's going to contribute to this whole chaos cloud that has surrounded President Trump for so long. So that's the concern. But so far, people are trying to get the president engaged to make him realize this is going to be something you can get over, but you're going to have to fight this. He does not have that mentality right now. That's why a lot of people have been telling us they think he's in this denial stage of what he's actually facing. And, and Nia, um, the, the president and his allies are going after the whistleblower's credibility right now. President Trump tweeting, quote, sounding more and more like the so-called whistleblower isn't a whistleblower at all. In addition, all secondhand information that has proved to be so inaccurate. A lot of the information, just a, a, strictly speaking about the facts, a lot of the information has proven to be correct. The description of the phone call was exactly right. The, the, the hiding of the transcript and the, the lawyer. Yeah, that, that the lawyers are more involved in that. The source for this whistleblower, according to this uh, document, are people in the White House. More than half a dozen uh, U.S. officials have informed me of various acts related uh, to this effort. That's what's in uh, the complaint. So this idea uh, that they can go after the credibility of this whistleblower, that he wasn't really there. Well, listen, a lot of cases, the actual person isn't there and maybe they're getting uh, information from folks in the inside, which happened to be uh, what, what was going on in this case. You saw some of that go on in the hearing yesterday with one of the uh, Congresswomen essentially saying the same thing, you know, that he yeah. wasn't really there. This is secondhand information. It's not firsthand information. Good luck with that. Good luck right. with that. I mean, I think the, the kind of corroborating document and, and listen, I'm sure the regrets about why they released that transcript. Maybe they didn't have to. Uh, that's the original corroborating document. And you see it uh, in this uh, whistleblower document as well. All right, everyone stand by. We have some breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. Breaking News, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has just been subpoenaed by three House committees as part of the impeachment inquiry. Let's go straight to CNN senior congressional correspondent Manu Raju. And Manu, this has to do with President Trump, his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and, and Ukraine. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Three House committees have subpoenaed the Secretary of State to turn over records relating to the committee's investigation into the Ukraine matter, particularly the role that the State Department may have played in helping facilitate some of the discussions that Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, had with Ukrainian officials. Now, these committees, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, which is leading for now the impeachment inquiry, as well as the House Oversight Committee, have been demanding for weeks that Pompeo 
turn over these records. They set a deadline for Thursday for Pompeo to turn over this information. He did not provide the information. So these committees just now issuing the subpoena. And in this letter uh, that's written by, by these uh, House uh, by these House chairmen, it says, your failure or refusal to comply with the subpoena shall constitute evidence of obstruction of the House's impeachment inquiry. So what they're trying to say here is give us the information as part of their probe into the Ukraine matter as they consider impeaching this president. But if they don't turn over this information to the committee, they're going to use that as evidence of potential obstruction of Congress, which could also be an article of impeachment against this president. So this is the first escalation we have seen from the Democrats since they have announced a formal impeachment inquiry. We'll see how the administration ultimately responds. They're giving them a matter of days to provide this records, Jake. Uh, and, and let's talk about this. Uh, Mike Shields, there's this interesting, I don't want to call it a subplot, but there's this interesting other story involved here about Rudy Giuliani, his role in reaching out to the Ukrainians. Uh, and he sometimes he says that he's acting uh, on behalf of his client, the president, and other times he says he's, he's operating on behalf of the State Department. And he's sometimes he's like holding up a, a phone to show, uh, or I guess it was an iPad, to show text messages from somebody at the State Department. Um, and it seems that he's trying to suggest that the State Department uh, is involved in this and uh, that he wasn't this rogue operator. Well, yeah, first of all, two things. The first thing is reporting that this is a subpoena from the House impeachment investigation that has not been authorized by the House. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to keep in mind the politics of this. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to make all of the members of the Democratic caucus who are vulnerable to lose because they're in Trump seats vote on impeachment. So they've actually opened an investigation and they're issuing subpoenas without actually authorizing it, which is what the rules of the House and the law require. So it's very interesting to me to see how they enforce a subpoena on someone for something that hasn't actually been authorized to even have a budget to pay for it. Anyway, in terms of Rudy Giuliani, I think the Democrats are in a very interesting position when it comes to hypocrisy because he is essentially the Sidney Blumenthal type of person here. He's a private lawyer. He's, so some of what he's saying he conducted on behalf of his clients as a private lawyer, and then he's also doing things as a friend of the president. Sidney Blumenthal, which many Democrats have defended, was involved in the Steele dossier, and when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, he was known to be sort of an extracurricular Hillary's outside spy that was doing things and bringing information back to her. So that gets pretty murky for a lot of Democrats to really criticize politically to criticize Rudy Giuliani when they've defended the actions of Sidney Blumenthal and how the Steele dossier was created. So that just creates a lot of I look at this from the political perspective. It mm -hmm. creates a lot of murky political things, which is why they don't have a House floor vote on impeachment yet. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to do that. Mayor, what's your response to the three committees subpoenaing uh the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, obviously Rudy Giuliani saying, hey, look, I did this on behalf of the State Department. I wasn't just trying to help President Trump in the election. I, this is official business. Well, I think it's fascinating to see how this is all quickly unraveling. Uh, and it seems to be only be the tip of the iceberg. Um, and talking about the politics of it, it seems to be that Secretary of State Pompeo may have to watch out for his own legacy. He's somebody who served in the House. He served the intelligence community. He understands what's at stake here for himself. And everybody's pointing fingers in different directions at this point. This has not been a disciplined White House response in any way to impeachment inquiries or any of the other documents uh, and conversations around it, um, particularly when it comes to engaging outside counsel. Council, uh, who is 
clearly involved in a government cover-up uh, of the president trying to use government resources to go after a political opponent. At the end of the day, that is a national security risk that goes above and beyond anything we've seen before. And we should note, not an error, that you signed on to a letter issued by 300 national security officials, former officials who have served Democratic and Republican administrations supporting the impeachment inquiry. Uh, the letter says in part, quote, to be clear, we do not wish to prejudge the totality of the facts or Congress's deliberative process. At the same time, there is no escaping that what we already know is serious enough to merit impeachment proceedings. From there, the facts and nothing but the facts should dictate how Congress holds the president to uh, account. And, but, and in particular with that, it, it seems to be a pattern of behavior. This is not this is the only one that we know of. But knowing that White House lawyers, not NSC lawyers, who are a different set of people, but White House lawyers directed that this transcript be put onto a classified server as part of this cover up raises concerns about what other conversations have happened with other foreign leaders and what else, uh, what other kind of quid pro quo conversations have happened that the American public has no idea about. Was it White House lawyers or NSC lawyers? So, so it just said White House lawyers in the complaint. But what we learned today mm. was they, a senior administration official, told us it was a National Security Council lawyer who directed the staff to do it. Now, the argument that can be made is that they all fall under the same umbrella of the White House Counsel's Office. But clearly what we read between the lines from that was the White House Counsel's Office was trying to say, no, no, this wasn't just the White House Counsel's Office that did this. It was specifically someone from the National Security okay, Council, yeah. a lawyer for them, that directed this to happen. That actually uh, created some buzz in the West Wing. On the committee chairman, we should say, uh, we should note some, some more news here. The committee chairman said they've also scheduled depositions for five State Department officials over the next two weeks, including Ambassador Marie Masha uh, Jovanovic, uh, the, the uh, Ambassador uh, Kurt Volker, Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent, uh, Counselor Ulrich Breck Bull, and Ambassador Gordon Sondland. Uh, uh, we should note that the former ambassador to uh, Ukraine uh, is among them. She was um, dismissed uh, from her post uh, by President uh, Trump. Uh, but let's go back to, to, to the Pompeo situation, because it was a really interesting moment last night uh, on um, Fox when Laura Ingram told Rudy Giuliani uh, that Maggie Haberman from The New York Times was reporting that Pompeo was mad mm -hmm. that Rudy was doing all of this and was saying all these things and it wasn't helpful, et cetera. And um, Giuliani basically said, and I, I think I'm pretty close to quoting here, I don't care. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much uh, what he said. And he clearly uh, means it, right? I mean, he's he's meant that all along in terms of feeling like he can be a kind of a freelance secretary of state, the job he sort of initially wanted, but folks didn't think he could uh, pass muster in terms of getting out of the, the Senate and confirmed. Listen, I think if you're Mike Pompeo, you might be thinking about running for Senate at this point. I mean, that's been on the table, whether or not he wants to uh, continue in this spotlight. But listen, at this point, you have all of these fingers pointing at different people, whether it's Giuliani, uh, Donald Trump, obviously, uh, William Barr. And now you have Rudy Giuliani essentially saying, listen, I was authorized to do that. It's not just me. What about Mike Pompeo? And, and we'll see. We'll see who else is subpoenaed. You imagine somebody like Rudy Giuliani and most of the folks who are mentioned in this document. Will be all right. Subpoenaed. Stick around. We got a lot more to talk about. We're going to keep talking about it. More breaking news. We have just learned that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been subpoenaed by three House committees. Who else could be subpoenaed? Stay with us. We're back with breaking news in our special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. We just learned that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, perhaps President Trump's closest cabinet official friend, has just been subpoenaed by three House committees as part of the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. I want to bring in CNN national security reporter Kylie Atwood right now. Kylie, what's the basis for the subpoena? 
Well, we knew that this was coming because these committees asked the State Department repeatedly over the last few weeks for documents related to the State Department's dealings with Ukraine. The State Department did not pass over those documents to the committees, and they said just this week that if they didn't get the documents they had requested, they would subpoena the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And that is exactly what they are doing today. Now, it's interesting, however, that the State Department has remained largely silent this week, even though that we know that Pompeo himself is frustrated by what Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, has been saying. The State Department has not said anything more on the record about its personnel and what they have been doing with regard to Ukraine. Now, Pompeo was asked about this briefly yesterday when reporters uh, caught him here in New York on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. And he said that everyone, to his knowledge, at the State Department had acted entirely appropriately. Now, the key word there is to his knowledge. Were there things that were happening that were not to his knowledge? But what we do know is that Ambassador Kurt Volker, who is in charge of all U.S. relations with Ukraine from the State Department, he had been dealing with Rudy Giuliani. He had been talking with him. He had been texting with him. And sources tell me that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had signed off on those talks. So the question here is, what is Pompeo going to be able to provide to the committees? And what is he going to admit to knowing and when he knew it? I believe Ambassador Volker was putting Giuliani in touch with prosecutors in Ukraine, prosecutors that Giuliani hoped to convince to continue to investigate or to investigate the president's political opponents, the Bidens. Um, Kylie, we've also learned that these House committees, these three committees that have subpoenaed Pompeo, have also scheduled deposition for five State Department officials. One of them is Volcker. Tell us why that's significant. Yeah, so I just want to clarify here. So what Ambassador Volker was doing was he was actually putting Rudy Giuliani in touch with one of Zelensky's top aides. And so the State Department has acknowledged that. They haven't acknowledged that Volker went any further. But what Rudy Giuliani has are text messages that show that Volker was actually willing to hop on the call with that Zelensky aide and with Rudy Giuliani. He wasn't just connecting them. He was talking to them. Now, there are five other, as you said, Jake, State Department officials who are also subpoenaed. All of them were mentioned in the whistleblower complaint by name. So clearly, the House committees, everyone on the Hill is wondering what exactly their role was here. Now, one of them is uh, Ulrich Brechnall, who is the counselor at the State Department. He is very close with Secretary Pompeo personally. They attended West Point together. He is in charge of personnel at the State Department. So I'm told that he had a role in what was uh, the recalling of the Ukrainian ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, I'm sorry, that happened abruptly earlier this year. The State Department said that she was recalled uh, for normal reasons. It was just normal protocol. But people on the Hill said that it was actually politically motivated and that the Trump administration did not want her there for political reasons. So they are trying to get to the bottom of that by talking to the people who are directly involved. Jake? All right, Kylie, thank you so much. And thanks for that clarification. Appreciate it. Um, we are now hearing that the subpoena might be not for Pompeo to appear in person, but for Pompeo uh, to hand over documents. We should note that Pompeo led the CIA. He now leads the State Department. He's been by President Trump's side for years. Uh, and, and I think it's a question as to whether or not Pompeo is going to comply with the subpoena. Well, yeah, because as I mentioned before, I don't even know that there what is going on with impeachment in the House. There's an impeachment inquiry that hasn't been voted on. And so these committees are sort of 
very, very quickly just, I mean, the fact that they're already issuing subpoenas. And keep in mind, impeachment is a political decision. It is not a legal decision. It's a political decision. And so they are trying to politically create an atmosphere that, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. That really hurts a lot of vulnerable House Democrats. And it also puts the White House in a place where they go, maybe we just don't have to comply with this and we're not going to listen to you because politically the people are with us. Mm -hmm. And so until you sort of resolve that aspect of this, this entire conversation is political. What I think what I've heard from Speaker Pelosi's team is there really isn't much of a precedent. There have only been three impeachments before or or, uh, there was a censure of Jackson. But then there was impeachment of Johnson, impeachment of Nixon that never was even voted on because Nixon resigned before could be. And then impeachment of Clinton. So there isn't like one set of rules, isn't it? But but she's saying that because Mm -hmm. she doesn't look. Republicans are trying to force a vote on. You don't want. You're right. You're saying that Pelosi is only trying to protect her. vulnerable. She has been fighting against impeachment for literally years right. as AOC and the left wing of her party were trying. She finally thought she got away. Mueller things over. We can get back to talking about health care and things she wants to run on. And now she's and then the whistleblower saying, I can't for, do anything. The whistleblower came forward. But there have been questions inside the White House about, yes, that was kind of the concern that it didn't change much. They were like, why are we calling this a formal impeachment inquiry after she announced that? Once they narrowed the scope to just the Ukrainian stuff and she's put Adam Schiff in charge of that. And, you know, if you read these subpoenas for Mike Pompeo, it says under the House impeachment inquiry. That'll be the question going forward. That was we talked to some lawyers inside the White House and allies of the president who wondered if they'd be able to make a stronger court argument with that. Uh, That'll kind of be the question going forward. Another thing to keep an eye on is this past week, you saw the White House willingly turn over the transcript of the president's call with the Ukrainian president. And they made the complaint, the whistleblower's complaint public. That was interesting to people because so far the White House's move has been to block everything, even subpoenas and congressional requests. They were like, nope, not happening. So they willingly turned this over. People really questioned that strategy. Mike Pompeo is one of the people advocating do not turn over this transcript of your conversation mm-hmm. with the Ukrainian president. So it'll be interesting how he reacts to these subpoenas. And, and uh, Naira, U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine, Kurt Volker, he had dealings with Giuliani. Giuliani showed the texts allegedly sent by Volker on Fox News uh, last night. Uh, I'm sure Democrats are going to have a lot of questions for him when he comes before uh, the committees. Oh, and as they should, because this is somebody who has taken an outsized role in rule of law in the United States, right? He is a personal attorney for the president of the United States. The attorney general is now acting like the president's uh, attorney inside government. So the question becomes, who's watching out for rule of law? When it becomes a question of whether or not a subpoena is going to be complied with, and that's actually just a matter of course now, that is a, a dramatic change of norms and standards of how we feel about America. American democracy. And that's part of hopefully what this inquiry will get back on track. And reporters have not been able to get in touch with Ambassador Marie Masha Yovanovitch. She was sworn into ambassador as ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine in 2016. Uh, she was unexpectedly recalled from her post in May, months earlier than expected. Trump people uh, thought that uh, she was uh, a Clinton person and not, a, not sufficiently allegiant uh, to the Trump principles. A lot of people want to know what she thinks. Yeah. And you imagine uh, she will be somebody who they want to hear from. She was kind of a uh, pushed out. Rudy Giuliani uh, didn't like her. uh, And so she's not in that post anymore. Yeah. I mean, this is a roadmap for who they want to call. And you imagine that over these next couple of weeks, Adam Schiff leading this effort, he wants to do this quickly. He wants it over by Thanksgiving, Christmas and going into the new year, perhaps into the Senate. So we'll see what happens. But my goodness, they've got this roadmap. They've got the call, which again, I think this is a White House that might regret that they released that transcript because if they hadn't, they could 
get in a sort of he said, she said situation. And but now ever, we've got this. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to keep talking about it. We have much more in our breaking news. Next, we're going to talk to a Democratic congresswoman who's on one of the committees working on an impeachment inquiry. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're back with breaking news in our politics lead in our special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Three House committees have just subpoenaed the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, demanding documents about President Trump, his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and their involvement with Ukraine as part of their impeachment investigation. Joining me now is Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania. She's on the House Judiciary Committee. That's one of the six committees working on the impeachment inquiry. Uh, so, Congresswoman, uh, your, your committee is not one of the three demanding documents from Secretary of State Pompeo. Um, but I, I do wonder, you heard, maybe heard Mike Shields complain, and I've heard this from other Republicans, which is uh, Nancy Pelosi has not done a full vote on there being an impeachment inquiry. She's trying to have her cake and eat it, too, have the powers of the in- investigation uh, while also not forcing members, uh, especially people from vulnerable districts. Uh, what do you make of that? Does there need to be a full impeachment vote before the inquiry begins? No, it's not required. So that's just a false statement that uh, we can't do oversight and impeachment inquiry without a full House vote. It's simply not the case. We are authorized. We, all, we have six committees of jurisdiction. Uh, and so you see Intel taking the lead in particular on the Ukraine matter. Uh, and, of course, Judiciary and the other four are also working on it. So it's and, just not true. And is there any sort of uh, resolution on the timeline? We've heard that some people want to have... Well, we have subpoenas also being already being issued today, so yes. we know that it's starting now. But we've heard that some, some members from the House Intelligence Committee might be beckoned back uh, as soon as next week, even though there's yeah. a break for a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, that there's a hope that there'll be a vote by Thanksgiving, perhaps, or by the end of the year at the latest. Is that right? Well, certainly I'm not going to be controlling the timeline uh, as a freshman member on judiciary. But what I want to say is that you do see the speed with which Uh, things are moving forward. And what that really represents is the gravity of the moment. I I hope all America recognizes that as a result of this courageous whistleblower, we have seen extraordinary grievous wrong by a president in a systematic way over the course of time uh, to try to blackmail uh, a leader of another country, a a democracy uh, suffering from uh, the oppression uh, and invasion uh, by Russia. Uh, So I think, I hope everybody gets that this is a, a very somber, very sober time Uh, But also, at the same time, we must do this job well and as expeditiously as we possibly can to get as much of the facts before the American people quickly. Are you worried at all? You come from a safe Democratic district, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, plus seven uh, Democratic. But you have colleagues, freshman colleagues, Connor Lamb, Chrissy Houlihan, people who are not from districts that are necessarily safe Democratic seats. Are you worried at all? that there could be some blowback, that this could rally President Trump supporters, this could alienate independent or swing voters, this might send the message to voters that you're not focused on health care and the economy and education, but you're focused on getting President Trump. Those are concerns I've heard from some Democrats. Do you share them? I, I, as I said, I think this is such a grave time and a sober uh, historic time that I don't see it as try to get Donald Trump. I care deeply that uh, all of my terrific colleagues come back uh, are reelected. They bring such beauty and diversity and depth of experience. But what you saw in the course of the last seven to ten days is we now have uh, all but, I think, ten Democrats uh, in favor of impeachment inquiry. So uh, I certainly want uh, those, those uh, in, in more difficult seats uh, to come forward and to be a part of this team. I feel a great unity of our caucus. 
but this is not a political decision for any of us, uh, frankly. This is actually a decision about upholding the rule of law, protecting our Constitution, and standing up to a president that is actually abusing his office, using it for personal political gain in a shakedown of a, of a foreign leader. You're on the Judiciary Committee, yeah. and I believe at the end of the day, after all the committees have had their hearings and inquiries, it will be up to your committee and your chairman, Jerry Nadler, yes. to vote on what to recommend in terms of articles of impeachment if, in fact, you do reach that conclusion. Yes. Before you reach that conclusion, what do you want to know? What information do you not have? Who do you want to hear from? Uh, well, we're going to tie up whatever loose ends we can. You know we're in court in order to get McGahn and others to come forward. But I have to admit... But that's on other stuff, that's right? That's right. the Mueller, Mueller matter that's and right. the obstruction of justice right. charges, potentially. And, and we were going to have an emoluments hearing last Monday, but we canceled, session was canceled uh, for the very important funeral of uh, Rep. Clyburn's wife, uh, Miss Emily. Uh, so I think what judiciary, I know from uh, meetings with judiciary, we will continue to do our work. Uh, we are drafting articles of impeachment. Other committees will offer uh, to judiciary articles of impeachment. Uh, and so, but the focus right now is uh, to get as much of the Ukraine matter uh, in front of us, evidence, facts, uh, as we possibly can. I want to commend uh, the whistleblower. Uh, I'm sure you read the complaint. It's one of the most well-written complaints I've ever seen, and people who are much more steeped in this than I uh, note the, the thoroughness, uh, the lack of editorializing, the factualness of it, and basing it in the statute, in the whistleblower statute. Uh, so I, I look forward to Intel getting as much as they possibly can from the whistleblower and the supporting um, folks that are part of that complaint. But it absolutely uh, corroborates uh, what the president has admitted to, a so, phone call with the president. So just because just I want to, because uh, I'm confused a little bit here, just let, one last quick question if I can. Sure. Um, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi has made it clear she wants the focus to be on this Ukraine situation. But you just talked about emoluments and you just talked about uh, the Mueller report and obstruction of justice. Um, is, are, are those other issues going to be part of any article of impeachment, uh, emoluments, obstruction of justice in the Mueller matter, or are you focused on Ukraine? We're focused on Ukraine, but I don't think that will be it alone. I think one of the other most likely article of impeachment uh, will be the one that we saw that was Article 3 in the Nixon era uh, impeachment, and that's obstruction of Congress. So the, the repeated behavior by this administration to obstruct Congress, abuse of power. Uh, hiding uh, the reports uh, of, of that uh, transcript of that phone call in a secret server. Um, so abuse of power, obstruction uh, of Congress, uh, but certainly, uh, sadly, the Ukraine matter will be the most important. All right, Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean from the Great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's 4th Congressional District. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The president's personal attorney telling the world that he is the legitimate whistleblower. He is the hero. He's got the text messages to prove it. What is Rudy Giuliani talking about. Stay with us. We're back with breaking news in our politics lead. Three House committees are subpoenaing Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for documents related to the president, to his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and their dealings with Ukraine. One House Intelligence Democrat says Giuliani will likely be called to testify before Congress. But as CNN's Tom Foreman reports, Giuliani claims he's the real hero of this saga. Let me tell you the facts. They called me. Rudy Giuliani is fighting back. Oh, I wasn't operating on my own. Insisting his talks with Ukrainian officials were proper, important, and encouraged by the U.S. State Department. In fact, I'm a legitimate whistleblower. 
So why is President Trump's personal lawyer so worked up? It comes in the wake of news about the now infamous call between Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky. In that call, Giuliani's name comes up repeatedly as Trump asks for foreign help investigating Democrat Joe Biden. Rudy very much knows what's happening, Trump says. If you could speak to him, that would be great. That has raised accusations Giuliani was acting as an improper agent of the State Department, arranging a political hit job from afar in the name of official business. Giuliani says no way. He was helping investigate corruption, and he says he has a paper trail that proves it, including this text message from a State Department official arranging a meeting. I went to meet uh, Mr. Zelensky's uh, aide at the request of the State Department. Uh, Fifteen memos make that clear. The State Department says Mr. Giuliani is a private citizen and acts in a personal capacity as a lawyer for President Trump. He does not speak on behalf of the U.S. government. But he has spoken for Trump many times. What you just said is totally erroneous. It's not a crime. Attacking his foes, dismissing his critics. It depends on where it came from. It didn't obstruct. The president calls him a loyal ally. Rudy's a very straight shooter. His critics call him something else. He is the political henchman for the president. And Giuliani is clearly hedging his bets against another potential title he could be saddled with if the Ukraine affair gets much messier. Fall guy. For now, Giuliani is pledging to defend himself against all accusations as vigorously as he has defended Donald Trump. Jake. All right, Tom Farmer, thanks so much. Could Rudy Giuliani be doing more damage to President Trump than helping him? We'll discuss next. Stay with us. And we're back with our special coverage of the lead, the White House in crisis. We're back now with more on the breaking news. And our politics lead, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, has been subpoenaed for documents by three House committees. Could Rudy Giuliani be next? Let's chew over all this. And Aaron, let me start with you. Congressman Mike Quigley, he sits on the Intelligence Committee, says he wants Giuliani to testify because, quote, he doesn't know what he shouldn't say. <laughs> Loose lips sink ships. That is a famous national security saying. Um, and Rudy's on TV all the time, uh, really testing out messaging and throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And I think ultimately it's just going to come back to bite him. Uh, and Mike, in an interview with Politico today, Giuliani says he, he, he really sets a bar for himself. He gives an interview, gives a crazy quote, and then the next day he tries to give a crazier one. Today he says, I'm the real whistleblower. If I get killed now, you won't get the rest of the story. He then insisted he should be entitled to the same whistleblower protections that the other whistleblower is getting, the one who actually went through the proper channels. Um, yeah, look, I don't, I don't understand that quote, but <laughs> to the point of what the Democrats are saying, we want to subpoena him because we think he'll be a bad witness, is essentially what they're saying. He doesn't know what he shouldn't say. That speaks well, I don't know to what help. you mean by bad witness. I mean, it's well, they're saying which we, position you're... We want to subpoena him and have him talk because we think we can play gotcha, which is, shows how political this entire thing is. And the Democrats have really put themselves in such a tough position because everything they've done looks political. It's shoot first, ask questions later. They've been trying to impeach the president for two years. Now they've got something they think they can really get him on. And people are sort of like, I don't believe this. What do you think of Rudy? Liability or asset for the president? Well, he has pretty much been a liability all along. I mean, if you think about uh, the whole issue with the president paying off uh, Stormy Daniels, he kind of would say things on on uh, on TV. And I think it, the, the president in trouble, the president sort of escaped the Stormy Daniels, uh, whatever sort of maligning around that. So I, I don't think he's been a good force for this president, but he's so much like the president. I mean, they 
are two peas in a pod. I mean, they're conspiracy theorists. They're they're self-aggrandizing. Uh, he believes he's the hero. Rudy Giuliani does, and he's the real whistleblower. So I, I think you know the president can't really quit Rudy Giuliani. What, how was Rudy perceived uh, by White House officials? Um, because I would think he causes them headaches. Yes, and he has caused a lot of headaches. The problem is that he has Trump's blessing for so many of the things that he does, but then it's the other people who have to deal with the fallout from what Rudy Giuliani says. And Mike Pompeo is the perfect example of this. You know, that's going to be a point of scrutiny and focus over the next several weeks as we're going through this process of what exactly their communications were between the two of them or other State Department officials, how much of that Mike Pompeo gave his blessing to. The problem with Rudy is that he's not someone who works in the White House. The president can't just fire him. Him. He's his personal attorney. He's kind of been in this, you know, un- not clear position for so long, but he drives people in the White House crazy. <laughs> All right. More on our breaking news coming up. Still ahead, the ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Bob Menendez, live on CNN. Stay with us. Finally, from us in our pop culture lead, the rise of online porn. It's easily accessible for people of all ages. And the CNN series This Is Life takes a look at how this is leading to a warped perception of sex and intimacy, especially among young people. Porn addiction isn't a medically recognized disease, but hundreds of thousands of people claim it is real and are turning to sites like NoFap. We have people from every continent across the planet. It impacts Christians, atheists, Muslims, Republicans, Democrats. If you're a human being and you have access to the internet, you can absolutely get addicted to porn. Though Alex is emphatic that this can happen to anyone, he tells me that 95% of NoFap users are men. It does happen to young men more often than any other group, I would say. I think the most vulnerable demographic is males between the ages of 8 to 14. And joining me now is the host of This Is Life, Lisa Ling. Lisa, you, you talk to people who say they're addicted. How much damage do they say this has done to their lives? Well, you mentioned in the intro, Jake. I mean, these these young men are growing up with unrealistic expectations of what sex and even relationships are are supposed to be like. Um, they are 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 looking at the opposite sex or even the same sex in an objectifying way. They're developing uh, dysfunctions, both uh, uh, erectile dif- dysfunction and 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 even harming themselves in some cases. And really, look, porn has has always been around, and online porn has been around for a long time. But because so many kids now have access to devices in their possession at all times, there's just such an abundance of porn that's available to them. And even if you have the most stringent filters on your phone, kids are smart. They can bypass it. And and if you put a couple of words into Google, not even particularly lascivious words, and, and you click on images, it's astounding what kids are able to see. And if you haven't had that conversation with your kid, it's, it, it is, to say it's overwhelming would be to grossly understate how, how, how scary it can be. And if it's spanning such a wide range of people, this problem with porn, how are they getting help to cope? Well, it, has, it hasn't been medically designated an addiction. So there are websites like NoFap that we just, uh, we just showed you um, where hundreds of thousands of people are going and finding community with each other. And, 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 and they're, they're having open discussions about this. And, 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 and there are sex therapists. I mean, if you talk to most pediatricians, they'll tell you they're dealing with this issue. 
All right, Lisa Ling, thank you so much. Be sure to tune in. An all-new season of This Is Life with Lisa Ling premieres this Sunday at 10 p.m. only on CNN. But before you watch that, be sure to tune into this Sunday's morning for State of the Union. My guests will include Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Republican member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan, and Democratic presidential candidate Senator Cory Booker. 9 a.m. noon Eastern on Sunday. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Have a great weekend. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.